Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. We are at the end of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We have reached the end of essentially a sermon that Jesus Christ gave to his followers, gave to his disciples, gave to a crowd at large, wherein he told them about behaviors. A lot of times when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we see this list, we saw this almost moralistic law laid out. And yet what we hope, what I hope that you've seen, what I hope you've understood as we've walked through this over the last few weeks is that Jesus Christ is not focusing on behavior for behavior's sake, but that Jesus Christ is telling his followers that he wants to turn the behavior upside down so that they might disrupt the beliefs of the world around them. I hope that you've seen that Jesus Christ wants to change the way that we live so that he might use us to change the lives of others around us. This morning, as we reach the end, as we wrap it all up, we're gonna see Jesus Christ calling his followers to live like this. Wait, no. Hey, uh-uh, don't do it. No, don't do it. No. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. 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 Don't even think of no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Don't even think about no. Every good parent knows that at some point, correction is needed in your household. Uh, If your child is headed for that water glass perched precariously on the edge of your hard coffee table over your beautiful carpet, you know that there's going to come a moment where you have to step in and offer correction. You have to steer your child away from a path that is leading to destruction, aka water on your carpet. Right? You need to get to that point. You're going to reach that situation many times in your life with a child. And Jesus Christ in this passage in Matthew chapter seven is looking at his followers, is wrapping up his entire sermon by looking at his people and telling them, you know what? You are headed for this situation where you're gonna be surrounded by other believers who do not hold these commands that I've laid out, who do not buy into these behaviors that I'm displaying, that I'm I'm illustrating, that I'm explaining for your sake. He says, there's gonna be times in your life, there's gonna be people in your midst that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They've been adopted out of sin and out of death into the family of God. And yet they're gonna stray. And Jesus Christ looks at his followers and tells them, this is gonna happen. And when it does, I want you to correct them. He says, I want you to move into that. I don't want you to lean away. I don't want you to be like, ooh, (laughs) let's see how this goes. He says, I want you to lean in. I want you to move towards them and I want you to offer correction because it's needed, it's necessary, and it's healthy, it's helpful. And yet the truth is is that we as believers, man, we just as people will still hesitate to correct others. Why? Because we don't wanna be judgmental, hypocritical, condescending jerks. We don't wanna be that. We don't want to look like that person that maybe we saw growing up, 
that Christian who burned us, that person who maybe gave us an impression that the church is a place for certain people and we're not one of them, or the church is meant for these types of people who do these types of things, and because I'm not buying into that, because my behavior doesn't quite line up, then I'm ostracized and I'm kicked out. The reality is that, man, some of us, I'd probably say a lot of us have been burned by churches or we've been burned by Christians. That's just the reality of where we're at. That's just American Christianity. That's the American church. In 2008, USA Today conducted a study where they looked at the views of the culture towards the church. They looked at outsiders. So they talked with all these unchurched people. And in order to fall into that category, you had to not go to any sort of religious service for at least six months. Okay, a lot of them had been a whole life, but at least six months of no religious service of any kind. And USA Today was talking to these people here in America and they're saying, okay, well, what do you think about this and that and these issues? And how do you view the church in this way and that way? And one of the things that they asked him was, well, is there a God? And what they found is that 72% of these people, 72 of these unchurched Americans agreed that there is in fact a God, that there is a God who exists. And in fact, the same percentage also said that believing in Jesus makes a positive difference in a person's life. That's 72% of unchurched Americans say, yeah, you know what? Believing in Jesus, it does make a positive impact in your life. And yet that exact same percentage, 72% also said that the church is full of hypocrites. They agreed wholeheartedly with that statement. In fact, 44% of them said, you know what? Not only is there this just a large gathering of, of hypocritical people, but 44% said, and you know what? They get on my nerves. They actively offend me. There are frustration in my personal life. 44% of unchurched Americans said, you know what? Christians get on my nerves. And 79% of them, almost 80%, right? Almost four out of five said that Christianity today, in their view, Christianity today is more about organized religion than it is about loving God and loving people. That's where we're at. We don't get some blank slate in our culture just because we're the new generation. We don't get to wipe the slate clean. We don't get to start over. We don't get a fresh start. We have to deal with the consequences of past mistakes. And there've been plenty, right? There've been plenty of mistakes by Christians and non-Christians. There've been plenty of mistakes made both in the church and outside of it. And we're having to deal with that. We have to live in reality that that's taken place. And we need to recognize that while we don't wanna be judgmental, hypocritical, condescending jerks, we also don't want mistakes to continue being made. We don't want the same issues to be playing themselves out because otherwise, as those mistakes continue, the consequences will also continue. As those, as those mistakes and issues expand and become greater, then our consequences are gonna be even more problematic. And so we need to recognize that we've reached a point where correction is needed, where correction is going to have to take place within our circle, within our context, within our sphere. We need to recognize that Jesus Christ is speaking the truth when he says that you're gonna encounter situations where correction is needed. But we also need to recognize that he's speaking the truth when he says that it matters so heavily how you go about this. 
We're gonna see that he's talking to his people, not just about how there's a need for correction, but there, he's gonna say there's a need for correction to take place in the right way. So how do we provide correction without condemnation? How do we bring discernment without destruction? How do we do that? Jesus Christ is gonna look at his people and he's gonna say, these are some principles. These are some ways to go about. Here's some guidance in how to offer correction with care and with caution. Here's a way to go about it in a loving way. And to get there, he's gonna go through Matthew 7 and explain, first and foremost, this is what correction is. Then he's gonna say, and this is how it takes place. And he'll end by saying, and this is why it matters. So he starts off Matthew chapter seven, verse one, just laying out, look, this is what we're talking about. Just defining terms. He says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged and the measure you use will be the measure you receive. Now he's rolling out of chapter six, right? This is all one sermon. And if you'll remember last week, we were at the end of chapter six and he was saying, you need to trust the Lord. He says, you have a God in heaven who loves you, who wants to care for you, who calls himself your father. And so you need to trust in him to provide. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about these issues because God's gonna provide for you. And so this is a natural flow where he's saying, don't just not worry about your life, but he's gonna say, you know what? You don't need to worry about others either. He's saying, don't be anxious about where you're headed and what you're doing. And he says, in the same way, don't be anxious about these other people because God's got it under control. Because in this moment, when he's talking about judgment, he's talking about a very specific judgment. This is a verse that we hear quoted all the time by Christians and non-Christians alike. This is used in and out. This is used out of context all the time. This is a very popular phrase, probably the most quoted thing from our scripture, do not judge. And a lot of times how we see it, how we see it used, or maybe how we even personally use it is we kind of add an end to it. We say, don't be judging, right? It's like that kind of idea. Like, don't be judging me or him. You step off, no judging. Like we say it in that sense as this idea of like, you can't think critically about what's happening. You can't make a judgment decision. You can't maybe confront someone in the midst of what they're doing because otherwise you're judging. And Jesus Christ isn't speaking against that. Jesus Christ is not actually saying, look, you don't need to think critically. Jesus Christ is absolutely going to affirm, we'll get there later in this passage. He's affirming that you need to think critically, that you need to make judgment calls, judgment decisions. He's gonna affirm that there is absolutely a right and a wrong. There's absolutely a good and a bad. There's a better and there's a worse, for sure, right? And we see this, right? We see this in our culture, in our world. We know that there's a right and a wrong. There's a better, there's a worse. We know that there are good things and there are bad things. There are good Halloween costumes, like this guy who dressed as a stock photo. That is, that is so good. Like that is just objectively a good thing. On the flip side, we would say there are bad costumes. Or some of us maybe would say this is a better costume in dressing our dog like a UPS worker. I would argue this is a bad costume. It is strange. Dogs aren't people, right? I don't know. That's, some of us would look at this and we say, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I can differentiate 
between these things. There are good things, there are bad things. We see this in our culture at large, even though we will practice and preach this idea of this philosophy of relativism, the reality is that, man, toleration only goes so far. Relativism only goes so far. Everyone still has their own personal lines that they draw. People will ring the bell for toleration all day until they encounter someone who they consider intolerant, and that's where they draw the line. Or they'll ring the bell for toleration and relativism all day until they encounter oppression. And they realize, we realize, oh no, that, well, actually that's, that's just objectively wrong. Or we encounter deception. We say, oh no, that's, that's, that's wrong. We encounter issues or racism, whatever it might be. We've realized as a society, you know what? There are certain issues that there is absolutely a right and a wrong. And I'm so thankful that we at large have realized that. And that is, I'll tell you, that is the grace of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's common grace from the Holy Spirit that he would bring conviction in a general sense to this world because we could get a lot worse than we are. Jesus is not speaking against thinking critically and judging between right and wrong. Later in this passage, he's gonna call people out for being enemies of the gospel, for being rejecting, actually hostile towards the gospel. He's gonna call them swine. He's gonna call them dogs. So it's because these people are hostile towards me and what I stand for. Later on in Matthew, he goes and speaks against false teachers, false prophets. He says these people are wrong. He absolutely is affirming that there is a right and there is a wrong. He's not speaking against that. He's also not speaking against confrontation, right? He's gonna go on and talk about how there is absolutely a need for correction in our world. There's absolutely a need for us to confront people when they're in the wrong. We see this in our lives. We would affirm, yeah, you know what? People need correction in all sorts of different contexts. You're surrounded by engineers. Maybe you are one or you're sitting near one. They're right here. <laughs> Can you believe it? Right? And they look just like us. They look like people, but they're engineers, right? And these engineers are gonna one day be building bridges, right? Because that's what I, in my mind, that's what all engineers do. Uh, electrical engineers, civil, mechanical, whatever, you build bridges. So all these engineers one day are going to build bridges. And we look around our world and we see bridges and we're like, wow, those bridges are crazy. You know, they're all high and they extend over water. Oh, like, and it's amazing. And in our minds, we hope or we assume that those engineers, the people that designed and built that bridge, that they have received proper correction. We want them to receive proper correction. When they're sitting in their classes, we want their prof to say, no, you cannot make a real bridge out of spaghetti noodles. That is just an example for our class. Or we want them to speak into that, whether they're engineering, people that are pre-med, we want their professors to step in and say, I'm sorry, that is not a spleen. That is a brain. Like that is... <laughs> very different and you cannot operate on that in that way. We want that correction to take place, right? We need that to take place. For some majors, history majors like myself, like, eh, whatever, like, just let us, let us live our lives. But everyone else needs correction. And we see Jesus affirming that. He's saying, look, there's gonna be need for correction. In fact, he's gonna go further into this passage. He's gonna talk in Matthew 18, even further into this book. And he's gonna say, you need to be confronting other people when they're in sin. So this absolutely needs to take place. He's not speaking against critical thought. He's not speaking against confrontation. But what he is speaking against is condemnation. 
In fact, if we were, as we're reading this Greek, a better way to almost even translate this idea of judging that he uses right here at the beginning, this, this judgment that he's referring to, the way we would maybe even say it now would be either condemnation or final judgment. It's, it's something, what he's speaking against is something that looks a lot like this. Uh-oh, Nicholas, this train is gonna crash into these five people. Should we move the train to go this way or should we let it go that way? Which way should the train go? Uh-oh, yeah. This is a disturbed child. Heading uh, <laughs> into life. Jesus Christ is saying this is what we're not allowed to do. He says this is what is not resting on our shoulders. This is a responsibility that we just don't have. He says you as a people are not called to condemn others. You're not called to pass final judgment on other people. It's something we talked about just a few weeks ago, essentially that we are not as believers called to determine who is beyond God's grace, who is beyond help, who is beyond forgiveness. We can't do that. We don't know the heart of others. We don't know the future for this world. So Jesus Christ is affirming the idea that we should never presume that there are certain people beyond help, beyond God's reach, because they belong to that group, or they're a part of that class, or they're in that political party, or they're following after that ideology, or they're, or they're a part of this religious organization. We cannot condemn them and just determine, nah, lost cause. That's not on us. Now the day is coming when the Lord will judge a perfect judgment overseen by Christ himself who will look and see and know exactly where people are headed for all of eternity. He's gonna pass that judgment we don't need to worry about it. That's not on us. Instead, what we see affirmed continually throughout scripture is that we should be showing the grace that we've received, that we should be showing the same forgiveness that we've been shown. That's what we see throughout scripture, throughout even the gospels, throughout Jesus Christ's teaching is that we need to forgive just as we've been forgiven. We need to recognize that we were all enemies of God, that we were all children of wrath, that we were all living in open rebellion against the God who made us, spitting in his face and running in the opposite direction. And yet God, because he loved us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us because God is rich in mercy. He has offered us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ a free gift of grace, a free opportunity to have relationship with him for all of eternity, to have a life beyond this existence. And there's nothing we did to deserve it. Nothing. There's nothing that sets us apart from someone else living in open rebellion other than the grace of God. And so anytime we see someone living in that rebellion, no matter where they are or what they've done to these people or to us personally, we have to recognize, you know what? They are still within the reach of God himself. The Holy Spirit can still move and can still bring repentance, can still bring them to know the God who made them. We need to believe that and we need to say that and we need to live in light of that truth. 
Jesus Christ is saying, you cannot condemn. When he tells you not to judge, he's saying, do not pass some final judgment. But he says, there is a need for correction. He says, there will be times where you find yourself in the midst of fellow believers and they are deviating from the path that I've laid out for them. And in those moments, the loving, helpful, gracious thing to do is to step in in a loving, gracious, helpful manner bring correction. That's why he keeps going into verse three, where he says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own? You hypocrite. First remove the beam from your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus Christ is being clear. We are not called to condemn other people, but he's saying there is still room for correction. There is still room for us to correct other believers. But if we're gonna do so, we need to be accurate in this pursuit. Right? We need to be able to see ourselves and the situation accurately. That's why it tells you first and foremost, you need to check your own eyes. Look for those planks. He sets up this comical situation where someone's walking around with a big old beam right in their face and they're trying to help the people around them. Jesus Christ is saying, that's, that's crazy. It's ridiculous. And yet this is our tendency. This is what psychologists call actor-observer bias. This idea that many times our tendency is that when we have a failure or a fault, we will assign it to external circumstances. If I'm late, I'm gonna say, well, yeah, it's because you know ring weekend traffic was crazy or you know my daughter spilled cereal milk all over her dress so I had to change it again. Like I'm gonna just assign the issues that are my faults towards the world at large. I'm not gonna say that I was just like lazy or not planning ahead properly. I'm gonna say, no, there are these things that I can control. And yet when someone else has the same mistake, when someone else shows up late, a lot of times our tendency is to assume, well, that's a character flaw. That's just because he's the worst, right? (laughs) Steve, like we just hate... We just immediately jump to the worst case scenario. We immediately assume like, oh, that's just because he's lazy or because he didn't plan ahead or because this issue or that issue. Oh, that's just because like he grew up in a barn and that's why he doesn't put away his cups. I don't know, that was weird. But we assume that other people are just faulty. And Jesus Christ is saying, man, this is, this is inaccurate. You need to recognize that you have your own faults. You have your own issues. And they're not just circumstantial. They're things that are wrong with you. You need to have an accurate view of yourself. You need to have an accurate view of the situation. Check yourself, but then also recognize that there is still a speck, right? He doesn't say, watch out for your own planks and leave everyone else alone. He says, check out your plank, get it out, and then remove the speck. He doesn't leave the speck there. He says, correction still needs to happen. You still need to move in lovingly and help that person correct their error, correct their sin, but you do it in a loving way. That's why he's talking about eyes because that's something that, you know, everyone knows. Man, if you've got something in your eye, if there's an eye issue, that's that's a very delicate situation, right? I don't know if you've gotten things in your eye or, you know, I don't, the thing is this doesn't work too well because we, in a culture now, we, a lot of us wear contact lenses. And so we have no issue just like, just jabbing our hands into our eyes or forks or spoons or whatever it is. <laughs> or we put on mascara and we're like, yeah, and we just go for it. But for those of us that don't wear contacts or mascara, the eye is a terrifying thing. And I'm afraid at all times. 
that I could just even be up here talking and I'll just, my finger will just go and like my eye will fly out. I just assume that that's possible because it's a delicate thing, right? And Jesus Christ is saying, when you approach someone else expecting you to do it in a loving way, in a gracious way, you need to make sure that you're checking yourself. Do you know the whole story? Do you know both sides? Do you know the motivations behind this issue? Do you, have you asked and, and talked and asked a lot of questions? Is this a clear cut right and wrong? Do you have an accurate view in that sense? Is it actually a clear cut issue or is it kind of gray? Is this, hey, you know, bud, you gotta stop abusing sexuality in that way. You've gotta stop abusing substances in that way. You've got this pride or you've got this whatever it is that's popping up in your life. That's clear cut. But if it's just like, hey, dude, cups go in the dishwasher. Like that's not, you don't have the authority of God behind those words. <laughs> Seem to have an accurate view. Okay, what, what actually is happening here? How can I actually speak into it? And Jesus Christ is gonna go on and explain, it also really matters who you're talking to. He says, don't give what's holy to dogs or throw your pearls before swine. Otherwise, they'll trample them under their feet and they'll turn around, they'll tear you to pieces. He says, your message needs to change depending on your audience. He gives up, man. He just doesn't get it. That baby is speaking to the wrong audience. I don't know who that baby's audience is, but it's not that dog. And the reality is that a lot of times we find ourselves saying these things and going about this stuff and trying to offer correction and guidance. And yet we don't seem to be getting a response from the people we're talking to. And we don't understand why, but it's because we're yelling at a dog on our couch and we're using gibberish. It's not even English. <laughs> Babies, like they don't even get it. We need to recognize, you know what? My audience is going to change the way that I speak. My audience is gonna change what I say, not just how I say it. I'm reserving correction for fellow believers. That's what we see in this passage. We see brothers with specks in their eyes, sisters with specks in their eye. We don't just see people. I've said it before, I'll say it a million times. We need to stop being so caught up worrying about the behavior of people when we don't know what they believe to begin with. If someone has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they have no reason to live out the principles that we see in scripture. Not only do they not have a reason, but they don't have a motivation. They don't have the ability. The spirit produces the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We don't just do that. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you don't have the Holy Spirit residing with you as your counselor, as your guide, as your helper, as the strength in your weakness. You don't have that. So we as believers don't need to worry about trying to force other people into those behaviors. It's not on us. It's not on them the tip of our spear in all of those interactions is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them. 
and that Jesus Christ rose from the grave three days later to prove his power over sin and over death, to provide a relationship that will last for all of eternity. That's where we lead. That's what we say. That's what we bang on over and over. That's the bell that we ring, the drum that we bang on. That's what we say. Jesus Christ is saying, man, your audience is going to change who you're talking to because you know what? If you are talking to believers, there's gonna be need for correction because they've affirmed the gospel. They've bought into that. They're owning that. And yet there's still gonna be tendency to fall away. We all will make mistakes. And we're gonna lean into our old sinful broken nature instead of leaning into the spirit. We're gonna walk in the ways of Adam instead of walking in the ways of Christ. And so God, Jesus Christ is telling us correction needs to take place in that context with that audience. So we need to recognize that our audience matters and that in fact, what Jesus is getting at, what he'll elaborate more on here at the end of the passage is that there's gonna be times where there are people who are so hostile to the gospel that are so anti or have rejected it so harshly and fully that you need to redirect your efforts. But there are gonna be people who are openly hostile towards Jesus Christ, what he's done, what he stands for, what he says. And if you keep banging your head against that wall, you're gonna do more harm than good. And so he says, you don't throw those pearls out there. You don't throw this stuff to those people. You don't give them that message. You leave it to the Lord. You pray for him. You ask that the spirit would move because otherwise you're just gonna bring destruction on yourself and others. He says, your audience, man, it matters. He says, it also matters. Where is it that you're finding your authority to speak? He says in verse seven, that we need to ask and it'll be given to us. That we seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. He's saying ultimately what we need to recognize that is that God is the ultimate authority. That God is the one who's gonna give us the wisdom, is gonna give us the words that we need for all of these situations. Whether it's offering correction, whether it's just offering the gospel. He says, God is the one who's going to empower and equip us to do so. He says, you need to pray that God would provide opportunities, that God would provide motivation, that God would provide uh, the strength you need to move into these situations well. He says, God is a trustworthy father. That's why he gives an example of saying, if there, is there anyone among you who, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if your son asks you for a fish, would you give him a snake? It says, if you, even though you're evil, right? Even though you're broken, even if you, the evil broken person, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, ultimately, I man, you need to recognize that God is the one who's going to equip you. God is the one who is the source of all the good, of all the love, of all the grace, of all the forgiveness that you're hoping to extend to these other people. So make sure that whether you are offering correction or the gospel itself, you are going to God in prayer. And you're asking the Lord to move. You're asking the Lord to equip. And you can trust that he'll do so. He uses this ridiculous example. He says, if your kid asks you for bread, no one, you're not gonna give him like a rock. If your son's like, hey, can I have a fish? You wouldn't be like, here you go. Like, that's, like you wouldn't do that. 
In fact, I would take it a step further in saying sometimes we actually even ask for stones, right? I, I've seen this play out. This is, this is just like, this is literally my life. I, my daughter, Charlotte, is wonderful. She's gonna be two in December. And, and sometimes she eats lollipops. She had her very first lollipop on Halloween uh, while dressed as a princess. It was, oh, so precious. But literally this exact same evening, she tried to eat rocks. Uh, most days now in my life, uh, I am knocking rocks away from my daughter who is trying to eat them. Uh, I don't know why. There was never a moment where I just pulled her aside and was like, Charlotte, guess what? Rocks? Mmm. Good. Gravel? Mm-hmm. Like, I never did that. I never did that. I don't think anyone has. If one of you did, we need to talk because it's causing issues. But she finds herself wanting rocks. And you know, if she asked me for a rock to eat, I would say no. I would talk her out of that course of action. I would steer her away from that path because I need to be a good father. Jesus Christ is saying, look, God is gonna take care of you. God's gonna provide what you need. Some people are gonna seem beyond hope. Some people you're gonna wanna just write off as like unresponsive dog, swine, and you're not gonna wanna reach out to him. He says, but the reality is that God knows what they need. God can move. God's gonna change hearts. You need to go before him and ask for that. God's gonna give you authority to speak into those matters. Some of us already have authority in a lot of different issues because we've walked through those circumstances, terrible circumstances at times. We realized even just this past week, or we, we've realized it before, but we were talking about this past week, how on our college staff right now here at Grace Bible Church, our college staff, we have four individuals who have all experienced deep, traumatic, tragic loss in the past like year and a half. Siblings or parents who have just passed away. Four staff members. And I look at that and I'm like, man, I, I don't understand why that would happen. I don't understand the fullness of it. I'll tell you what's amazing is you talk to pastors here on staff at Grace Bible Church, you're gonna find a lot of tragedy. You're gonna find other pastors who are currently losing parents to horrific circumstances. You're gonna talk to a lot of pastors, a lot of staff members who've dealt with just the trauma that comes with infertility, miscarriages, and just issues. And I don't understand it in its fullness. But what I do know is that God is able to open doors through those experiences, that God is able to create connections and generate empathy where otherwise it wouldn't exist, where God is able to make connections between people because of those shared experiences, because of that slice of authority that he's given us to speak on that particular issue. It's part of it. It's not the entirety of it, but that's part. It's a beautiful way that God can use tragedy in our lives. So I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what experiences you've walked through, whether they're great or whether they're horrible. But know that there is a purpose. Know that there's an opportunity to provide correction or encouragement, there's an opportunity to share the gospel because of those experiences that you've been through, because of that authority that God has given you. And with all of it, Jesus Christ says, remember, remember, 
Why do we walk through these things? Why are we offering correction? Why are we going forth with the gospel? It's because in everything you should be treating others as you would want them to treat you. For this fulfills the law and the prophets. That beautiful little golden rule that we love to quote and put on our chalkboards or wherever it is, kitchen walls with decal stickers. Like we do this, we put this in places. Why? Because it sounds great. Sounds great. Because it is great. And because Jesus Christ is actually using it as the summation of the entire Sermon on the Mount. He starts off in chapter five by saying, look, I'm coming to you as a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. I'm not, de- I'm not denouncing it. I'm not overturning all of their things. I'm just fulfilling it. And he's saying the exact same thing right here because he's wrapping it all up in one package with a little pretty bow on top. He says, look, all these things I've told you, it's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He says, you wanna sum it all up? You're gonna treat others as you would want them to treat you. And this fits our correction for believers. It fits the gospel we're presenting to non-believers. As a Christian, I would not want to be harshly criticized, right? I wouldn't want someone to just walk up and smugly condemn me. I would want someone to treat me with consideration and bring an attitude of love and encouragement, an idea that I'd want them to approach me with a desire to build me up and not just tear me down. I wouldn't want someone to just overlook my sin and my issues. I'd want them to be corrected, but I'd want to be corrected in a loving way. And through all of it, I'd want someone to be praying that God would be at work, that God would be convicting me, that God would be strengthening me, would be sanctifying me in that process. That's what we want for ourselves. And if I was a non-Christian, if I was a non-believer, if someone presented to me the gospel and I just sort of decided I didn't want a part of it, right? I, I firmly told them and made my feelings known that, that I didn't want uh, to buy into that. I don't want to hold to that. I, I'm disinterested. I've rejected that. And right, if my feelings, my decisions, if they're known, if they've been presented, I would want that to be respected. I would want that other person to hear me and actually pay attention to what I'm saying. I want them to actually respect my decision. I wouldn't want the same points to be raised over and over and over again because I wouldn't want to have the same arguments over and over and over again. I wouldn't want to have to avoid that person in order to avoid those issues and those arguments over and over and over and over again. But if I was a non-believer talking with a Christian friend, And this person claims that there's a God who loves me, that there's a God who listens to us, that we can talk with, that we can ask things of. If this person, if this Christian really believes that there is a God who's on the move, who has a spirit, who convicts and and changes hearts, I would want that Christian, that person to go to that God and talk with that God that they so firmly believe in and let him deal with me. I would want that Christian to pray that their God would bring about a change in my heart rather than them just pester me over and over and over again. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know the people in your context. I don't know if there is a correction that needs to take place. I don't know if you just need to be more open towards correction for yourself. I don't know if there's someone in your life that needs to hear the gospel, a family member, a friend, a coworker. I don't know where you're at. But what I do know that Jesus Christ has given us a charge, that Jesus Christ has given us a command, that Jesus Christ has given us an authority to move into this world and to speak his words lovingly, 
graciously speak truth. So let's go before the Lord and ask him to empower us to do so right now. God, we thank you that you've given us a chance, Lord, to gather and worship you, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who are faithful to share your truth with others. God, to not just know you more, but also to make you known. If you would take a moment right now and just ask the Lord to bring to your mind a person you need to move towards. A person who maybe you need to apologize to because you haven't handled correction well in the past. A person maybe you need to move towards and just encourage because you know that they've received a lot of correction. They've been running into a lot of walls. So maybe you just need to move towards them and love them graciously. Ask them if they need anything from you in this harsh learning process. Or maybe there's someone that you need to move towards and and have a tough conversation. Maybe you are in the right place with the right person at the right time to have that conversation. So ask the Lord to draw that person to your mind. I don't know who it is, but ask God to bring them to your mind. Or maybe there's someone that you need to be sharing the gospel with. Someone that you've been afraid to have spiritual conversations with, even though you know it's the most important conversation you could ever have. Even though you know it's the, it's the greatest gift you could ever share. Ask the Lord to draw these people to your mind, whether they need correction, whether they need encouragement, whether they just need the gospel. And ask the Lord to move your feet towards that person this week, that you would set up the meeting or the coffee or the meal, the phone call, whatever it might be. Ask the Lord that, you would, that he would motivate you, that he would strengthen you to set it up today so that you could live out these commands that Jesus has given us. Ask him those things right now. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barrett. And I'm Jacob Smith. And we are so glad that you have joined us this week where we want to just take a moment to dig a little bit deeper into our messages and then look down the road at what's coming up in our ministry. Yeah, we are wrap, We have just wrapped up our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount called Upside Down Living. And uh, Jacob, you had a couple things you wanted to kind of share in closing up this series. Yeah, man. Well, uh Let's just say everyone's uh, been flipped. Everyone is now upside down, and Perfect. it's mission accomplished. <laughs> uh, we uh, wrapped it up like yeah, like you said yesterday, and man, it was it was a lot of fun to kind of uh, draw it to a close, and specifically even look at how Jesus Christ Himself drew it to a close. Um, and you know, I, I think one of the the main principles that we've seen throughout. Uh, his ministry throughout this sermon on the mount, even throughout the, the the closing kind of statements that he gives, is just the idea that we need to remember uh, that these behaviors and the conduct, the lifestyle that he is talking about in that series, uh, is reserved for his people. You know, Jesus Christ is speaking specifically to his followers. Uh, it's it's easy. Uh, for us to look at it as some sort of moral code or law that uh, it's our responsibility to enforce it upon the world and, you know, bring about 
all these people uh, that are living the way that Jesus Christ calls uh, them to live. And yet we fail to remember that before any behaviors are going to change, uh, that belief has to be correct. That ultimately it, it, those, that conduct and that lifestyle, it flows out of an established relationship with God, you know, through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Because, you know, all of those things that he's calling us to, whether it's, you know, how we combat lust or how we live uh, with humility and, you know, all of those, all of those elements, they are fully dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if, you know, if you're looking at a non-believer or a non-Christian, they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. They don't have that constant source of, of help and counsel and empowerment and strength. Uh, so it's just it's it's a it's a fool's errand to right. try to just force that on the world at Complete large. Complete uphill battle, you yeah. Know? I mean, it, and it's true that the to live the life that Christ calls us to live, we have to be first in Him. And so, have we put our faith in Christ, and are we allowing the Spirit of God to empower us to live a changed life? And so, yeah. you're right, Jacob. The just choosing to to white knuckle our way toward obedience is not the the life that Jesus called us to right. live. He called us to come to Him, and then let Him change us from the inside out. You know, and what's what's great though is that if you do that, that is as He closes up the Sermon on the Mount. There is a way to build your life on His teachings mm-hmm. um, if you've truly put your faith in Him, and you can then build an, a new life. And mm-hmm. uh, so, hopefully, this has been helpful. Um, a couple of resources we would direct you to uh, if. You want to study a little bit more on the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, we weren't able to go through every passage. But, uh, so not a couple, even close. <laughs> not even close. But a couple of authors that we would direct you to are uh, John Stott, D.A. Carson, Oswald Chambers, and uh, the ever-impressive Martin Lloyd-Jones have great books on the Sermon on the Mount uh, uniquely titled Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> every single <laughs> every one. Every single one of them. <laughs> so we would direct you to those guys. That's John Stott, D.A. Carson, Oswald Chambers, and, of course, uh, the immortal Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, for some more information to dig a little bit deeper into into that topic. So hopefully this series has been helpful, and we'll open up your appetite to, to dig a little bit deeper into Jesus' teaching. Yeah. And as that comes to a close, a new door is opening. Yes, uh, we is. are moving into what we call Go Missions. Uh, Go Week is is starting next Sunday. It'll continue through the following. So essentially November 13th through November 20th, uh, all of our attention and our efforts, uh, we are focusing it on missions. And, and what does it look like to participate in the Great Commission, both here locally and overseas. So to help us along, uh, we have some different guys coming in to speak at our services. We have Marty Scott, who's our uh, missions and small groups pastor here within our college ministry. He's going to be speaking alongside of Chris Merrill, who's on staff here at Grace with through Launch Global. And, and the two of them are going to be speaking both at Southwood and Anderson College over the next two weeks uh, to just essentially broaden our perspective on what are the opportunities, where's the need for the Great Commission, you know, how, how do we find opportunities even to participate in that calling that Christ has given to all of his followers. Yeah, you love, you'll love love both of these guys. I mean, uh, just Marty and Chris both bleed missions. They love missions. Um, I remember in one conversation I had with, uh, with Chris Merrill, he asked me, who have you challenged this month to go long-term overseas mm. to spread the gospel? And mm. I was like— you are someone that I need to hear more from because <laughs> yeah. you you challenge me to to really think deeply about not merely the local needs but the global needs yeah. of of Christ 
in the world. And so it's, it's always great to give a season to, to focus in on, on Christ's call to, mm. to not merely be concerned with what's going on here, although that is important, but also be looking to the needs of the world. Yeah, so over the next two weeks, it'll be fun on Sundays to hear from those two guys and be challenged to go. Yeah. And uh, along those lines, we got four opportunities this summer to go on missions. And uh, so there's some to, to Greece and some um, all the way to East Asia. So if you want to learn more about those, we actually have an event coming up, uh, an informational on November 20th mm-hmm. after our services uh, to learn more about how you might partner in the Great Commission in going overseas to share your faith. Yeah. So if you've never been a part of that, I would strongly encourage you to to get ready and maybe even schedule some some time this summer to join us as we go. Yeah, it'll be great. We've got some stuff midweek as well uh, that we'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks. But, man, ultimately, we are excited to look at the Great Commission and our role within it. And we're so thankful that you joined us this week on the podcast. And uh, we hope that you have a great week leading up to Go Missions. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>